The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. And then I get the honor of bringing up here in just a second... uh, Dr. Willie Nolte is going to do some surgery on our hearts and minds, and uh, I just want to give one story before he comes up, and I was resharing this with him before the service, but uh, TM is uh, Transformation Ministries. It's one of the groups that we're connected with, and Excel, who's kind of partnered with them, uh, but Transformation Ministries, really, they're all about helping spread Jesus, connecting people to Jesus, building relationship, helping churches. They don't care if a church is little or big. I was mentioning a church that's in Compton that I had met with the pastor and talked to him, and I was just telling Willie about it in the hallway, and he's like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. That's Quan. Okay, they have a church that literally has 10 to 15 people in it that meet in the back corner of a dollar store, and Willie runs an organization with church influence around the globe, and when I bring up a guy in Compton with a church, he's like, oh, yeah, that's Quan, because they care about the people. They don't care about the size. They don't care about the glory. They care about the people and what they're doing and how they're ministering and the glory that they bring to God. And so that's why we love uh, TM and why we love Willie, because as, as much as he is up in the echelons of leadership and helping all these people, he is still in the trenches loving people and serving God. So can we give him a hand as he comes up to share and open your hearts to hear from him? Thank you. All right. Hey, good morning, church. Dude, you guys are all about the party, huh? Hey, did you hear the guitar solo in worship today? I Thank you. I said, I was uh, telling uh, Kyle earlier, many, many years, uh, pastoring in some great, great worship leaders, and I had a worship leader who was a, a keyboard player, and I would say almost every Sunday, look, dude, if we don't have a guitar solo, it's not worship. Okay, so like, find someone. So he, he's like, oh, no, I'm nervous. So, you know, you nailed it, brother. Hey. Congratulations. I'm here um, just to uh, agree with God's blessing upon you and to thank you uh, for your faithfulness. And so I would just like to do a couple things. Um, and, and, you know, look, uh, in order for God to do a work like this, it takes a lot of faithful, obedient people who sacrifice a lot. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm here to thank you, to congratulate you. Uh, not preach too long because we're having lunch. Lead pastors great to come here. Uh, pastor, pastors, Andy and Pastor Carrie. And so first off, um, a pastor mentioned that uh, you're also a part of a, a family of churches called Transformation Ministries. About 250 or so congregations. It's hard to keep a number on it because we keep growing every week, praise God, Right in 15 different states and in northern Mexico. Churches of every size, speak in every language, every, every socioeconomic context. It's, it's like kingdom on earth, which is what Jesus said it was supposed to be, right? So part of my privilege, honor, and joy in being here today is to thank you, thank you for your faithfulness on behalf of your friends, your partners, your community of leaders, and churches called Transformation Ministry. So for all of you, uh, first... Um, and I usually there's like a $10,000 check on it, but <laughs> I don't know what happened to it. I mean, you know, what can I say? 
Um, but first, just a, a simple thing, but to recognize, you know, it's good to stop and recognize how many times in the Old Testament that God told the people, stop and put a pile of rocks here. So, you know, you need to stop and thank God once in a while. So first of all, simply to recognize and thank you on the occasion of your third year anniversary. So thank that's you. that. And, um, but I'll tell you, just as importantly from my heart is this. So Pastor Andy and Pastor Kerry, um, it takes a lot of faithfulness, a lot of vision, a lot of constant asking God, keep, keep me up here on the true north, right? The true north, the true north, the true north. And you know it's a constant thing. So I just want to give you this, the two of you, and it simply says, Pastor Andy and Pastor Kerry Elliott, thank you for your faithful leadership, first to Christ and also in your family of churches, Transformation Ministries, dated today. So thank you, thank you. for your faithfulness. God bless you both for all that you're doing. All right? Bless you. God bless you. So, hey, you know what? Um, I also said to Pastor Andy, when am I supposed to leave? And all the hello stuff at the beginning doesn't count. He's like, oh, I don't know. So... But because, you know, after this, we're going to go do lunch and all that, it might be that we won't get to pray over the pastoral team. And uh, that would be wrong for us not to do that. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to ask everybody else to stand. I'm from a little Midwestern town, and my grandpa used to make us, we always have to stand as a sign of honor. And so I want you two to see this, all right, and feel the honor. So Folks, I'm going to pray. You just kind of do this toward your leaders here. There are many leaders, but God has to put someone on point. We get this, right? God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This morning, we praise your name for the privilege to serve in the body of Christ, the Big C Church. Thank you, God, for laying it upon the heart, the mind, the spirit, and the entire soul of the Elliots to sacrifice and to move to this place to be a part of your work. We praise you today for the first three years. And Lord Jesus, should you tarry, we pray for many more fruitful years. We pray over this pastoral team. Thank you for their faithfulness. Protect them. Guard them. Provide them with all that they need. Physical health, spiritual health, emotional health. Pray over their family, their children, their life. God, I pray that you will continue to surprise and amaze them and blow their spiritual minds over all that you entrust to them to do for the kingdom of God. We pray it all together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Now that's what I came to say. And also to remind you of this. And, and this is why uh, celebrating today uh, uh, three years is, is important, also important. Is that um, the church, and when I say the church, I'm talking the big C church, right? The body of Christ. What Jesus said, I will build my church. It's his church, not your church, okay? Not my church. The big C church is the primary means by which and through which the gospel, God intends for the gospel to reach the entire world. You hear what I said? Now, I'm not saying that other things are important. I'm saying God's first plan A is the church. Guess what? There is no plan B. There's no plan B. If you decide to fold up tents, pastor, if you decide to fold up the tents here and go on, there's no plan B for here. There's no plan B for here, right? So 
This is why we got to thank God. We got to work hard. We got we to gotta throw in and keep throwing in and trust God for what God wants to do. So we're here today celebrating that God has given you the opportunity, the privilege, and the joy of being part of his plan A. Now, I'm going to talk about um, audacity today. Audacious. Just a fun word to say. Audacious. Audacity. In Acts chapter 3, and um, I'm going to talk about the audacity of the church, the audacious church. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3, so if you have a Bible with you, open it to Acts chapter 3. Or, uh, you know, find it on your phone or your other web-enabled or not web-enabled device. Acts chapter 3, we're going to be there. But uh, before we do that, audacity. The word means shameless confidence, flagrant boldness. Now, in one sense, I read that and I'm like, God, it's kind of like a negative connotation. I'm not sure that it's that. But, you know, when we say all oh, the audacity of this or the audacity of that, I think we kind of get it. It's like saying something that's... In one sense, you'd be like, whoa, you, you say that? You say that? So, all right, so one of the greatest Christmas movies that has been made in recent history is Elf. Yeah. Am I right? I mean, aside from Jesus being born in Bethlehem, that's like number one. But number two is Elf, okay? So there's a great scene in Elf where Buddy goes to New York. And he's walking in New York, and he runs into a coffee shop, and he goes, Congratulations! Why? There's a sign that says, Best Coffee in the world, or what? Best Coffee. He goes, You did it! Best Coffee! And you, know, and you can say, How audacious, because then he drinks, and it's like, Ugh. But what an audacious thing to say, The Best Coffee! Well, I want to suggest to you that we're looking at a passage of Scripture this morning that Make some audacious claims. I want you to think about your church today, God's church that he's given you stewardship over. And I want to ask you whether you would consider to commit to continue to be the audacious church of God as we see it in the scriptures. In this narrative, it's really not a blueprint for how to do church. That doesn't exist in the scriptures anywhere. However, I want to suggest that, there's, that what we have in Acts chapter 3 and 4 is a great uh, model for the church in action. Right? It's not a blueprint, but it's an example of what the church in action looks like. Let me say the audacious church in action looks like. So, Acts chapter 3. Are you there? All right, before I read it, we're going to pray over it. God, thank you for the privilege to be here today, to be a part of your plan A, to be, God, to stop for this, this day or days or moments, hours to celebrate, and thank you for your faithful leadership over this church, and ask you, God, as we uh, look into your word again today, maybe for some of us a familiar passage. So, God, I'm asking that you would, that you would give us a, a, a fresh insight and for those who maybe have never heard it or never thought about it this way, God, that your Holy Spirit would, would teach us what you want us to hear from your word today, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 3, hear God's word. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, about 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put everywhere, every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. 
Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet. He began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple, uh, into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And then when Peter saw this, he said to them, People of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? May God bless the reading, hearing, understanding, most important, the doing of his word. Now, uh, as the narrative goes on, let me just summarize it because it's important to, to... if you're not familiar with what happens next, right? So Peter, like every great preacher, sees that a bunch of people are hanging out, so what does he do? Well, he didn't take an offering, but he did the next best thing. He preaches a sermon, right? And then all the ruckus and commotion, and then, and then, then the authorities, the religious authorities, um, they see this thing going on, they're like, oh, this is a little out of control. And for some people, a little out of control, they just can't handle that. Right, And so especially some of the things that Peter was saying, he was talking about Jesus and the person that, that you all denied and stuff. And, so, and because it was late in the day, they didn't know what to do. They're like, ah, they'll be okay, and we got dinner tonight. So they waited until the next morning. The next morning, they convened a blue ribbon panel. Read it for yourself. It's just, I'm just summarizing what happens next. The chief priest, the political people, all the powerful people, all the who's who, the people were, were there. And uh, they pulled them in, and they're like, okay. By what name or what power do you guys are doing this? Why is this guy walking? They couldn't deny that the man was healed. That's cool. And then Peter's like, well, look. It's the name of Jesus in power. And then he goes on and gives it to him one more time. <laughs> so then they go, okay, break, break time. They go back in the back room. I'm filling some of this in. They go back in the back room. They're like, what are we going to do? Am I messing up your deal here? Oh, I wanted to mess it up. Come on. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to be out of that. You know. Usually when I go to a church, they, they, they put tape on the thing, and they say, don't go outside this tape. So you know the very first thing I do is like, all right, look at the empty stage. So nothing to do with the sermon. So they come back, and they're like, okay. They knew they couldn't deny that it happened, so this is what they said. Okay, the blue ribbon has decided. Stop doing this stuff. They're like, oh, okay, we're so sorry. We'll stop. Is that what they said? No. They said, hey, you decide for your own selves. We've decided based on what we've seen and heard, we cannot stop talking about Jesus. Right? And then because they didn't know what else to do, they're like, okay, yeah, well, like, okay, we're going to let you go. But just remember, we said stop doing that stuff. All right? So this is what we got going on here. Now, I mentioned that it's not a blueprint for the church, but I think it's a great example of the church in action. So here's how I want to structure the passage for us for, a, for the next a few minutes. I'm suggesting that there are two like bookends to the passage. One, the bookend over here is a very bold statement. 
The bookend over here are two great questions. In between is a description, four different descriptions, the description of the spirit-filled, Jesus-serving, kingdom-establishing church. All right, are we there? Bold statement, questions, description of the church. So let's do the, over here the bold statement. What is the bold statement in this passage that Peter and John make to this uh, beggar? The bold statement is this. We have what you need. Right? Not what you think you need. Not what you're necessarily asking us for. Not what you want. Because what did he want? Money. What did he think he needed? Money. What did people tell him he needed? Money. So people need. You don't really need money. Now, why is this important? Well, it's a small step, people, for the church to have the audacity to go against what the world is telling them, the world that it needs. The world is telling the people, us, drowning us, showering us with all the stuff that we need. We need stuff. We need money. We need prestige. We need all this stuff. This is what we think we need. Will we have the audacity, church, to tell people and to say, we have what you really need? Not what you've been told that you need. Maybe not what you think you need. A couple years ago, I came across an article, and it was... uh, uh, an article that the headline was something about uh, why this, and I'm, it doesn't matter who it is, but it, uh, an historic mainline denomination. It was uh, why this denomination has suffered this like, catastrophic historic decline. All right, So I'm like, okay. Another one of those hit pieces by uh, a journalist or something like that. You know, I'm interested in church things and all that. So I just kind of peeled it back and found it. And it turned out that it really wasn't a hit piece. It was actually a pretty well-written article. And the guy, the person, had done their research, and they went all the way back and, and, and kind of went backwards from this historic decline of this denomination, okay, from where they were, and I mean, it's precipitous decline, membership, losing building, you know, just down, like off a cliff kind of down, and kind of tracked it back, tracked it back, tracked it back, tracked it back to the place where it started, and discovered that denomination had made a decision a couple of decades before, that its official position was this. We can no longer state as an official religious denomination that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And we have to stop talking about sin so much because it's harmful to people. Now, I'm on the grace train personally, so I think we got to stop. It's not that we have to stop talking about sin so much. We have to stop shaming people about sin so much. So I'm on the grace train, but it's okay. So it was interesting that from that time when they decided they no longer thought they should tell people what they really need, I think God took his hands off of it. Now, I'm not in the throne room of heaven, but the evidence is there, isn't it? So I'm simply asking you one more time, church, if you want to have another anniversary, if Jesus tarries, If you want God's blessing to keep pouring out on you and surprising you and miraculous things happen, how about having the audacity to say, we have what you 
really need. Now, the, the text is interesting because it's really busy and loud. If you can think about it, it's three in the afternoon. Everybody's going up to the temple courts. And Peter and John, by the way, they were professional, I mean, pastor types. Dude, they were on their way to an important meeting, a prayer meeting. Look, man, if the pastor's going to a prayer meeting, right? So they're on the way to a very important meeting, but they stop with all the noise and all that. And what does it say? They stopped. Peter looked at him, as did John. And then what did Peter say to this guy? Look at us. They had to get his attention. We have, a, we have four children, uh, four great children, three girls and one boy. So uh, you have one son and three, four girls. Okay, brother, my son knows your, yeah, he knows your pain. So our son was what we call euphemistically a busy child. You understand what I'm saying? All right. That's why I still do this a little. So when he was little, man, it would be like, oh, be a hard time to get his attention, try to get him to listen, and he was just busy and be like, ah, this and that. And his sisters never helped because they just know how to mess with their siblings. It's like a spiritual gift or something. And so it was just frustrating. Like he just, he was just a busy boy, right? And so one day, out of, just exasperated, I was trying to get his attention and it just came to me. I don't know how I did it, but I'm like, I'm like, da 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 And I'm like, I'm like, Clark, focus. Just like you, you cannot look away. And he was like, and we were so freaked out. We're like, what was I going to say? Well, sometimes you got to do that. So that was many, many years ago. In our family today, I promise you, if we're in a, you know, one of these family, when your family gatherings are, if someone in our family feels like someone's not listening to them, this is what they do. Focus. <laughs> I got you now too, don't I? I got two people. Well, that's kind of what Peter did. He had to stop and he needed to get this guy's attention. You see what I'm saying here? The church exists in a very busy, loud, complicated world. You have to ask yourself, what does it take to get people's attention? Are you willing to think, strategize, be wise with your time, money, resources, even your advertising and such? Because in, unless you ask for the world's attention, most of the time the world is not going to give you its attention. Can we agree on that? We have to just, as a church, we have to be willing to say, focus. But here's the thing. Before they told them, the man, to look at us, what did they do? They paid attention to him. In church, we have to make sure we're not so busy that we're not stopping to look at others first before we ask them to look at us. This is why a church like yours is such a joy to, to watch. Because I believe that God has laid it in your hearts and your ministry to ask yourselves creatively because you're paying attention. You're looking, you're looking, you're looking, you're looking. And then you're asking the church to pay attention because you're willing to say, we have what you really need. That's a pretty audacious thing for any, any church to say. But here's the thing. They were willing, therefore are we willing to say, look at us, we have what you need we are willing, and we want to give it to you. 
Now, a couple weeks ago, about three weeks ago, I'm just wasting my time, you know, flipping through. Uh, I'm going to say Facebook. I'm aging myself. It wasn't Instagram or Tweet or TikTok or whatever that other stuff is. But, you know, I'm an old person, so it was all about Facebook. And lo and behold, I found the perfect example of a church that has decided, in my opinion, that it is willing to make the statement, pay attention to us, because we have what you need and we're willing to give it to you. That is made clear in this picture right here. Now, I discovered this is right down on the corner like sunrise or sunshine or sun something, right? So I saw that. What's in this picture besides a very handsome stud, whatever, you know, whatever, yeah, adorable and all that? What's in this picture? In this picture is a person who represents a church, who represents a ministry, who represents a position that we care enough about you, we will find ways to ask you to pay attention because we're willing to give you the answer. That's exactly what's going on here. If I recall, the story to that picture was some lady did stop you at that store or something, right? Right? And so I'm just saying, I, I'm like, I saw that and I'm like, okay. Now, that's just one way. There are any number of ways, right? It's really upon every church to find its most effective creative ways. But the point is, the bold statement, are we willing to say, are we willing to say, we have what you really need and we want to give it to you if you serve people that way? That's the church in action, okay? So that's the bold statement. Let me quickly go through the four things. Description of the spiritual-filled church. First, People are walking and jumping and praising the Lord. Did you see when the man was healed, that's what he did. Now, I'm from a Baptist background. So walking and jumping and leaping and stuff is kind of like, what? Well, true confessions, I've been a Baptocostal for a while now. So let me ask you this question. I'm not suggesting here that we should prescribe the appropriate way to worship. That's also incorrect. Like, I've been in churches where, like, if you're not running up and down the aisle and, and, and clapping and doing all kind of stuff, that you're not praising God. I disagree with that. I will ask you the question, however. If you had never walked, what would be the appropriate response? Like, hey, man, look at me. I'm walking. I'm going to send you a friend request later. I hope you'll respond. Because we ought to get some coffee. The guy was freaking out because... Why wouldn't he? Yeah. So let me ask you this question, church. What is the appropriate response when God moves in and does something amazing? I'm just, exactly, right? I'm just simply saying, you know, I go into a lot of churches, large and small and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you this, I, I catch the culture right away. In the parking lot, I catch the culture. In fact, I pulled in today. I was early, and there were two dudes out in front. I don't recognize who you are now. But they made sure to do this to me. Not like, you can't park there. You know, it, was, it was like, no, they were welcoming me. I'm like, okay, that's the culture. Now, I know a little bit about your culture because I know your leaders. But here, here's the thing. What is the appropriate? So when I go into a church, I'm just simply asking what is the appropriate response for this group of people to the active work of the Holy Spirit in their midst? Now, if that's jumping and praising and all that, whatever, if that's appropriate, 
I just, I just think, and, you know, what's the evidence that these people are responding to the work of God? So that's the first thing. Second thing, people were filled with wonder and amazement. Why are people filled with wonder and amazement? Because they know how people used to be. Right? In this case, the guy didn't walk. Now he walks. And sometimes it's a little more subtle, but not always. Because when God moves in and changes a life, did I mention I'm on the grace train? I'm on the grace train, which makes it all that more joyous and powerful to celebrate a changed life. That we stand in amazement that the power of God literally changes the trajectory of people's lives and their existence and their personality and their families and everything else about them. And when that happens, people are amazed to see it happen. Again, I'm simply wondering, as you look around your church, you know, every once in a while, do you just stand back and go, okay, that's amazing. One of the prayers I pray over leaders, I try to remember to pray over leaders in churches all the time, is surprise them with how much you trust them with the work you've given them. Surprise them with how much you trust them with the kingdom. Surprise them with how much you trust them with the little ones. Surprise them with how much you trust them for worse. Surprise them, surprise them, surprise them, and people will be amazed. Okay, number three, the third thing that we see in the text, people are clinging to one another. Verse 11, people are clinging to one another. In the Bible, by the way, while we were worshiping, I just I got chills on the uh, running out of the grave thing. And it's not like it's cold in here. It's like, that's true, man. We're running out of the grave, right? So um, people are clinging to one another. The Bible talks about koinonia, uh, and it's, it's fellowship. But, you know, a lot of times we say, oh, fellowship is sort of like, you know, oh, what should I say? Give me the word. Okay, now some people are like, oh yeah, that means we stand around, we have coffee, and all. No, that's not what it means at all. That could be part of it. What it really means is walking the life journey together, right? Now, what else do you say about it? Intimacy, sharing, vulnerability, right? Doing this, right? Right? Now, when that happens in a church, a certain dynamic happens. And what is that dynamic? People want some of that. Now, not in a cliquish kind of way. Cliques are about power, prestige, and exclusion. Koinonia is about love, grace, acceptance, inclusion, and walking the life journey together. I'm going to say to you that God created humanity with a, with a desire to be in relationship, first with God and then other people. In the absence of either one of those your life is cattywampus. And that's a Hebrew word for messed up. <laughs> so when it happens, the natural response is we just need and want to be here. And because God is working in our midst, it's not like, hey, we're good now. We don't need anybody else. It's like, hey, we're good now. Who else do we know that needs to be here? That's the amazing thing, right? So um, they, 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 they cling to one another. Um, I'm, I'm old enough now, I'm very, very young to be a grandparent, but I am. But even when my kids were little, um, the, there's a fun thing that little kids do, especially if you're really tall and you have a big foot. What is it that they love to do? Grab your leg and sit on your foot. They're just like, I am not letting go. And it is the coolest thing. Now, after like 15 or 20 minutes, you're like, oh. And then you got to remind yourself when this happens. A couple years from now, you'll beg them to do that, and they won't want to. 
But it's sort of that dynamic, that normal, natural clinging together. Fourth thing, people will come running to see what's going on. I call this the, uh, the uh, rubbernecker syndrome. Now, that's kind of a negative thing. I live in Southern California now. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so the traffic thing is, is interesting. And, you know, I get it if there's like an accident or something or, or they close three out of the four lanes in the middle of the day because someone thought it was a good idea. I'm working on my, my, my counselor says my anger issues. But what frustrates me is when like nothing really happened. Someone pulled off to the side of the road and everybody has to slow down and go one half a mile an hour to see what's going on. I'm like, they're fine. Keep moving. Well, on the upside of that, and I believe the Holy Spirit has a lot to do with this in blessing a church. When something's going on here, people will come and see for themselves, especially if you're doing the other things that I just mentioned. The Holy Spirit will lead people here. The Holy Spirit will lead people here, especially if you're ready for them to come. If you're not, and you're not willing, and you're not committed, don't expect the Holy Spirit to lead people here. I just think it's a kingdom stewardship thing. Right? So people will come and see what's going on. So the bold statement, I lost track of time. Okay, I need it. Okay, here we go. A bold statement, the spirit-filled church. Now, the two great questions in the text. I love these, great, these questions. Did you hear them when I read it? Peter says, when all this stuff is going on, the man's... The man's praising God, he's clinging to down, the people, what's going on, everybody's coming to see what's happening. Um, and then Peter has two great questions. The first one is this, why are you surprised? <laughs> why are you surprised that God showed up in power here? Right, well, easy for you to say, Peter, you saw Jesus walk on water. You saw him come out of the tomb. Easy for you to say, but Peter's like, no, no, no. Why are you surprised when God shows up. I want to ask you a question. I was going back, Pastor, to an email that you sent me a while back, and you were just sort of describing your church a little bit, which, by the way, your pastors love you and describe you in wonderful ways, which is pretty cool. One of the things you said, though, is that we, we focus on, we, we um, hold on to Ephesians 3.20, right, as kind of a value, a promise, a vision, or I'm not sure exactly how you would phrase it, but and I, and I thought, you know, good, I'm going to remind them of that and ask you, are you or are you not an Ephesians 3.20 church? And what does it say? Right? God who is able to do exceeding abundantly all that we think or ask. And so I'm not saying you've done this. I know I have in my life. I will pray about something. I will speak a word of vision. I will, you know, claim stuff. I will go for it, and I will trust God for it. And then God will do it, and I'm like, what? I'm so surprised. <laughs> like, really? Because you prayed, you felt led, you asked God for it, you put in the hard work, you showed up, and God showed up, and then you're surprised. And so the great question, church, is why are you surprised when God shows up? Let's stop being surprised. Now, let's don't get all arrogant about it. But let's praise God and stop being so shocked when God shows up with power and purpose. And then the second question is the companion question, isn't it? Number one, why are you surprised? Number two, why do you think it's by our power that we did this? 
Peter and John are like, why do you think it's like, because we're all that. We look at these guys and we say, wow, of course, they were so awesome. And they were, right? I mean, they were God's original chosen leaders, followers, and all that. And Peter's reminding them, it is not about us. And when they asked Peter in the Blue Ribbon Committee what, what it's about, he said, it's not us at all. It's the name of Jesus. It's the power of Jesus. It's the power of the gospel. Why do we think that we're all that? Now, there's that fine line between feeling really good about yourself. You ought to have a, a really good, high, strong self-esteem in yourself as a person and in yourself as a church. Of course you should. But the moment we start thinking like it's because we're this, it's because we have the best this, the best that, the best, you know, and then we start playing that goofy uh, comparison game. The minute we start thinking that we start taking credit, I feel it's sort of like God would like, okay then, if you want to handle that, go ahead. That's not a good place to be. So Peter is like, look, it's, yeah, there's a lot of power, a lot of miracle going on, a lot of God stuff going on. Hey, don't confuse yourself. It's not us. It's God in us and through us. Jesus said, if the Son of Man be lifted up, I, Jesus said, I will draw them. Now, his plan A is to have a vital, strong, growing, effective church. But the power comes from God himself. We have what you need. Don't be surprised. This is what happens in a church. And you know those four things that describe a church? They're all a little messy. Sometimes that's pretty cool too, isn't it? That's pretty cool, too. Here's the all-important observation I would leave you with. The all-important observation. This is further on in the narrative that, that I mentioned. And this is when, you know, the officials, the Blue Ribbon Committee, they were like, stop doing this, stop doing that, blah, blah, blah. And, but there's this great um, conversation they have when they describe Peter and John in chapter 4, right before they called them back in and said, okay, well, you know, just stop doing this stuff. They're like, okay, whatever. They said, look, they, this is uh, chapter 4, 13. They saw the courage of Peter and John. They realized that they were unschooled, ordinary people. All right? It's not that they were all that impressive. And I'm not against impressive people. I'm not against education. I'm not against knowing stuff. I'm not against being an excellent leader. And, you know, I'm not against any of that. The all-important observation from these professionals was... These people seem to be pretty ordinary, except for the one thing. They took note. They took note that these men, these people, had been with Jesus. What a goal to have, church. Now, when the people look at you, and, and it, it, again, there's nothing wrong with saying, man, they got great programs and Bible studies. They get, all these things are great. They're pursuing excellence. They're doing that. But when it comes right down to it, when we hang out with these people, it's like they've been hanging out with Jesus. The all-important observation. Last thing, I'll close with this. And this is my prayer coming to join you today to thank God for his blessing over your first years and pray God's blessing on the, on the next uh, uh, future for you is the same thing that those audacious leaders said. It's my prayer that you would have both the desire and the commitment to trust God and say in word and in deed, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. May it be so in this place with power and with purpose. God, thank you for, again, for the opportunity to be here. Uh, pour out your blessings in abundance.
Surprise these people how much you love them. Pour out your spirit in power and in purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. <clears throat> All right. What a good, what a good word. Uh, it's interesting you brought up Ephesians 3.20. I'm going to read that real fast, that passage. And then we're going to go over and have some food. But um, when we originally were called to plant a church, I mean, I was, you know, you guys know my story. If you're new here, you don't. But, you know, I was really brought to church in the back of a friend's car just passed out drunk at 3 in the morning, dropped off at a pastor's door. And my life was going nowhere. And it was going there as fast as it could. At the time... We didn't even have our first daughter yet. And had I stayed on that track, I wouldn't even have a family. These kids, my awesome kids, wouldn't even be here. Except for by the grace of God. Because that's what God does. He intervenes in life. He intervenes with the guy that's sitting by the gate and waiting. And he brings that. And they said then, they said, if you'll just say yes to whatever God asks you to do, that he will give you a heart for people and he'll do all these amazing things. And I didn't even like people. And so I'm like, okay, you'll have to do that because I don't like people. Because <laughs> I was an introvert and would hide out in my house and all those things. And they said something else one time, and it really, even back then, just broke me down crying. I cried for like probably an hour. Is they said that you're going to walk with, you're going to be one of the, the mighty men of God. And it's taken a long time for me to understand what that really means because a lot of times in the religious world, what that means is this idea of you have some kind of special authority or power or a lot of people follow you or a lot of people are. And the longer that I've been walking with God and the longer that it goes being here at the Beat Church with you, the more I realize that what that means is to be with people who just love God. That is what mighty is in God's world. It's not a prestige. It's not a name. It's not a being on the marquee. It's not all those things. It's walking out the good news of Jesus together with people and watching how he brings this love and unity. And this is what's in Ephesians 3. And so when I think of that, I'm just sitting here. I, was, I started getting you know, tears and stuff while Willie was sharing. And God's just telling me, look around. These are the mighty men of God. These are the mighty women of God. He said, one day you'll walk with them, and we're walking with them. That's you. We're walking it together. You're mighty men of God. You're mighty women of God. You're people that God's called and put a purpose in, that he's, he's changing lives through. And I can go through, I mean, I know what people are doing out there. And sometimes people are, well, what I do is unnoticed. But it's not unnoticed by God. God sees it. God knows God's doing it. Ephesians 3, it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. 
and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the measure of the fullness of God. And then here comes verse 20. So just realize verse 20 that I'm about to read, it comes out of the flow of this prayer that people would somehow be able to grasp the depth and the incredible awesomeness of God's love for them. That's where 20 comes from. It rolls out of that. It says, now, now that I've prayed that, now that I've talked about his love, now that I've said be rooted in it, that you can't even imagine how amazing it is. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, when God does this work of teaching and showing and helping us to love each other in such a real way, then just like Willie said, there's something that the world needs and that they see and that God draws towards. And it says, to him be the glory in the church. In other words, what we're doing here brings him glory. Not what I'm doing, not what Carrie's doing, not what Original Planter's doing, not just what Art's doing, not what's, what we're doing, what you're doing. As a family, as a body of Christ, as believers that God is doing this, and it brings glory to him, which is the ultimate, ultimate honor of our life, is to bring glory to the one who deserves it. Amen? Father, I pray you bless us as we go eat. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the great message. Lord, that reminds us of what we have to offer the world, which is you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as we eat together, Father, and we fellowship, God, that your love would abound, Lord, that it would, Lord, be rooted in our hearts for one another. Lord, and that you would develop it in a deep way. In Jesus' name, amen. Take the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.